0: All of a sudden, the world doesn't look the way it once did. What once seemed so stable, now crumbles in chaos. What once could be trusted, no longer has credibility. Yet in the midst of it all, there is hope. When who will reign on earth is uncertain, there is one who reigns from heaven with certainty. He reigns with righteousness, He reigns in power, He reigns with authority. One look at His throne changes everything. One look at His throne brings vertical clarity to a horizontal chaos. One look at His throne is what we need.
1: A perspective shift, a confidence shift, a vision shift.
0: I noticed the room looked very different this morning than it normally does. And uh, the Lord has been blessing with lots of new folks coming. So we thought we need to make some more room. So we did. That's awesome. Yeah, we're grateful. Yeah, the Lord is at work for sure. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but one of the ways that I respond when I'm faced with something that I can't resolve, when I'm faced with something that seems to not have an immediate answer or even has this feel of impossibility to it, I get frustrated, and then after a while, I just throw up my hands. I'm like, whatever. Just whatever. I'm, I'm just done. I'm done thinking about it. I'm done messing with it. Just whatever. Can you relate? Yeah? So uh, I've done that with some things in my life. I, um, when we moved into the house that we have now, it had a functional well in the backyard. I mean, there was a you know, 25-foot pipe down the ground and this mysterious water source down below that was pumped up below and up from a below and you could water the yard and I did all that and then it broke one day and I struggled and I tried to fix it and I couldn't. I tried to call a guy, he couldn't fix it. And I'm like after a while I was like, whatever. You know, it's frustrating. And then you know my story about bamboo in our backyard as well. Bamboo that just grows wild crazy in our backyard to try to manage that, try to control that. And after a while I was like, ah, whatever. I just can't keep up with it. It's crazy. So I've done that. I've done that with situations that come up in my life. Maybe you're like me. You've even done that with some relationships in your life. After a while, you're like, whatever. It just feels impossible that there could be a resolve. But then when I read Scripture, I find a different response that we are called to. Because I read Scripture and I find that it is actually in the impossibilities that God does His biggest work, and is where he increases my faith, and it's actually where he calls me to, and then I find that he actually is the one who designs the impossible situation just for me, and he does that for you. That situation that you look at today, and you think, man... This person has created this problem. My boss is this. The world is this. This person is this. They caused me to be in this impossible situation. I have to remind us, as I remind myself, there is no situation outside of the sovereign hand of God. He doesn't just sit back and say, well, let's see what happens next. He designs uniquely the situations and circumstances of your life so that he can increase your faith and trust in him. That situation today that you are facing that is to you impossible is the situation where he wants to show his greatest glory to you. Now that takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to walk into that. Because it's easy. It's easy to look at impossibility and just say, whatever. It's easy to just look at an impossible situation and say, "Ah!" It's easy to get angry. It's easy to get bitter. It's easy to walk away. It's faith that says God is in this. God has a purpose for it. And I will not walk away from it. Because he has led me. Here, We're living in a day in which the impossible seems to just show up every week in the news and every day in the news. A new circumstance, a new situation, a new event has unfolded. Something has happened, and it just seems totally out of control. But I will not give in to the fear of the day. I will not give in to anxiety. I will not give in to throwing up my hands because I believe there's a king who's seated on the throne over all eternity. And just because we can't figure it out here in America doesn't mean he doesn't already have it figured out in heaven. And just because we can't figure it out here in heaven doesn't mean I just throw up my hands and say whatever. It means it calls me and you to a deeper walk and closer faith with him. Amen? Amen. So when that happens... I've got to learn to see things differently. I've got to change the way I see. I need a vision shift. I need to see the situation from a different perspective. I need to see it from God's perspective. And I see several in the audience who are like me, who have had some physical vision issues in life. Amen, yeah. So it wasn't long ago probably longer than I like to admit, that I began to experience some vision issues. And all of a sudden, reading a book began to be a whole lot more of this than anything else. And it began to be like, well, why am I even doing this? This is ridiculous. It began to be an exercise for my arms instead of an exercise for my mind. So I get headaches, I get tired, I get frustrated with reading. So I go see an eye doctor and he says, hey, you've got some vision problems. Well, yeah, I'm experiencing, you know, all of the results of that, but what's the deal? And he began to explain to me what was going on. It turned out, he said, well, you can't see far away well, you can't see close up well, and you can't see even this far well. And I'm like, wow, thanks a lot. That hurts. So he said, you're going to need some glasses. Okay. He says, you're going to need trifocals. What? So that's what these are. So now I can see far, I can see close, and I can see where my computer screen sits pretty well. It's awesome. When I got a shift in my vision, when I got some help with my vision, all of a sudden some things that were once kind of unclear to me became clear. Some things that had been a bother to me all of a sudden became not so bothersome. The headaches went away, the tiredness went away, the fatigue and the ability to see all of a sudden increased. The same thing happens with our soul. When our soul begins to not see clearly what's going on in life, it begins to have some effect in life. When you can't see clearly the people around you, when you can't see your circumstances from God's perspective, you will start to have some symptoms that will come with it. You'll start having some real anxiety. Because if you don't know that there's a king on the throne, you'll start worrying about all that's happening here. You'll start having anxiety. You'll start having depression. You'll start having uncontrollable urges. You'll start having unrest in your soul. You'll have this disconnect with God. You'll have anger issues. You'll have relationship conflict. And all of that's happening because you have gotten all of a sudden a vision problem in your soul. You got a low view of God is what happened when you get a low view of God and don't see him reigning over all things you'll start assuming a lot of things for yourself you'll start assuming control You'll start assuming you've got to worry about everything. You'll start assuming you've got to take care of everything. You'll wear yourself out. You'll worry yourself out. You'll anger yourself out because you have gotten a low, small view of God. And our world today is struggling with a very small view of God. The church is struggling today because it's, tempting to want to look at what's happening here on the horizontal instead of getting a picture of what's happening in the vertical. It's time you and I get a bigger view of God. And when you get a bigger, a greater view of God, you will see what's happening here in a very different way. Culture today is reeling with selfishness, rebellion with breakdown of marriage, breakdown of family, children caught up in addictions and drugs because the world today has a small view of God. The church today as a whole is struggling with a lack of power in the church, a lack of passion in the church Sacrifice is resisted, and there's little change in people within the church because the church as a whole has a small view of God. It has substituted the greatness of God for just Sunday religious experiences. Small view of God always equates into troubles in life. It's happening in individuals whenever you have a lack of desire to seek the Lord, whenever your prayer life has diminished to almost nothing, whenever you have an inability to overcome temptations, whenever faith is just a a small compartment of your life, whenever conflict is raging out of control, you have gotten a small view of God. And it's time that you and I in this day In this time, right now, get a vision shift and get a bigger picture of the grandeur and the glory and the holiness of God. When we do, it will change things in our lives. It will change how we see things. It will change how we talk. It will change how we think. It will change how we feel. It will change what we do. In this series, Vision Shift... Our second message today deals with purpose. I want us to understand today what it means to have a God-driven purpose in our life. A 2020 purpose, if you will, playing off of the vision that's 2020, but also the year in which we live. Man, if there's ever a day that Christians need to get a sharp, clear focus for their lives... A sharp and clear focus for what God has for each of us. This is the day. This is the day of no more playing religious games. This is the day of no more church just being this add-on. This is the day that if you're going to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you better get serious. I'm afraid that days ahead don't look as bright as some I've seen in the past. I'm afraid that the struggle and the tension and the conflict is greater than what we might have imagined. I'm afraid the demand upon being a follower of Jesus Christ is going to cost more than it ever has before. This better be the day that you and I get some clear focus about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, how to know his purpose in this day, in this time for your life. And I'm not talking about just people who are in ministry. I'm talking about every one of us, every one of us that Claims the name of Jesus Christ and has walked in his ways. This is our day to understand clearly, clearly what his purpose for us is. If you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah 6. This is where we've been camped out. This is where we're going to stay today. Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 because Isaiah lived in a day in which he needed some clarity. Isaiah lived in a day that had a lot of similarities to our day. Isaiah had written in chapter 5 some of the things that was going on in his day, and he wrote about the struggles that they were going through. He wrote about how people had an obsession with stuff in their day, how people were buying land and buying land and buying land until there was almost no land left. People were obsessed with having more. They couldn't get enough. They were finding their joy in the things that they had. They were finding their purpose in the things they had. And Isaiah said, woe to this generation because they're obsessed with stuff. Isaiah also said woe to this generation he was living in because they like to just escape. They like to just try to leave what's going on here. And the way they do it, Isaiah said in his day, was through alcohol. They'd find a way to numb themselves. They'd find a way to escape what was going on. They'd find a way to alter their mind and their emotions, even their behavior for a time, so they could somehow adjust to what was going on in their day. They were obsessed with it. They were also obsessed with deceiving, with lying, just trying to get their way. They did whatever they wanted, whatever they could. If they needed to lie, if they needed to steal, if they needed to deceive somebody, they were obsessed with doing it in order to get their way. They were obsessed with themselves. They were obsessed with twisting truth. They were calling right, wrong, and wrong, right all in their day to get their way. Does it sound familiar? Yeah. in the midst of all of this, Isaiah is, of course, stunned. He's shocked. He's overwhelmed at what's happening because, get this, this was a Christian nation he was talking about. This wasn't just the world. This was God's people. This was the people who knew God, knew his law, knew his ways, knew his presence, and they were the ones messed up in all this stuff. And Because they had this tiny view of God, they had major issues going on in their life. And that's why Isaiah wrote about them and said, whoa, to this generation. In other words, judgment's coming to this generation. To make it all worse, there was a king in Isaiah's day that everybody had loved. He'd been a king for 52 years. That's a long time to be a king. Everybody trusted him. He was a man who had walked in God's ways, knew God's law. But one day, Arrogance entered this man's heart, and he thought he could do what only the priests were allowed to do, and he marched himself right into the temple to offer sacrifices as a big in-your-face to God, as a way of saying, I'll do what I want. And he walked right into that temple, and he offered sacrifice, even though the high priests were trying to stop him from doing it. And when he turned around after doing that, he was immediately struck with leprosy. And it wasn't much longer until he died. And so this nation, Isaiah's nation, is in turmoil. They are reeling and Isaiah is stunned. What is going to happen next? This nation is facing judgment. The king has just faced judgment. What is going to happen next? Isaiah Needs some God purpose in all of this. Isaiah needs a vision shift in all of this. And so here's what Isaiah 6 sounds like. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne... If you have a King James Bible this morning, it says, Also, I also saw the Lord sitting on a throne. While he saw the king and the government in disarray, he also saw the government of heaven in full array. Amen. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, and he was high, and he was lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He was filled with glory and majesty. He wasn't disrupted. He wasn't upset. He wasn't undone by the goings-on on earth. He's seated on his throne. He goes on and Isaiah says, this is also what I saw. He said, above it, above this throne and the Lord there stood seraphim, majestic, powerful angels. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two... He flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah has this picture, this vision that he sees, that God shows him, and the Lord Jesus is seated seated on the throne. And the Trinity is present there, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, because Isaiah says, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah in verse 4 says, and the posts of the door, they were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. One of the angels cries out. It says, and the house was filled with smoke. And so Isaiah says, "Woe, judgment upon me, for I am... Am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah sees the Lord, he sees His holiness, and instantly he is aware of his unholiness. He is aware of his sin, and he is laid out. He is undone, he says. I'm destroyed. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm completely undone because I deserve judgment, because I'm unclean. My mouth's unclean. I cover up people who are unclean. I don't deserve to be here in this place. And he's totally undone before God. He sees him as holy. He sees him as righteous. He sees him as holding man accountable. And he knows he is responsible and accountable for his sin. Hey, that's something this generation doesn't do well today, is own its sin. This generation today, and you and I have been affected with it just like Isaiah had been affected in his day, doesn't like to own up. Doesn't like to take responsibility. Doesn't like to be held accountable. It's a lot easier to point the finger and blame somebody, push it off and deny it, and try to play it off, and Isaiah can't all of a sudden. He's held accountable before God. Verse 6 is some good news for him. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. This beautiful moment of grace because Isaiah is laid out undone. The angel comes toward him with a live coal from the burning altar, the justice of God, and he touches Isaiah with it. He says, Isaiah, you are now cleansed. You are now forgiven. What's going to happen next is going to define the remainder of Isaiah's life. Isaiah is about to get his purpose. Isaiah is about to get his call from God. But I want to start before we go down this path with this clear direction from Scripture. The way to get God's purpose for your life is by first... Seeing Him holy, seeing your sin as defiling you, and receiving forgiveness from Him. Look, this is where it starts. This is where you get free from the guilt from the shame, from the bitterness, from the rejection, from the anxiety, from the uncertainty, this is where it starts. This is why God cleansed Isaiah here because if you want to hear from God, you got to get rid of all that stuff first. If you want to get some direction for your life from God, you've got to get rid of the guilt because anytime God tries to speak to you, you won't hear him clearly if you're carrying around your guilt and your shame and your rejection and your fear and your uncertainty and your doubts and your clouds of pain and all your bitterness and anger and resentment, when God tries to speak to you, you won't hear him. That's why God begins here with Isaiah and says, I'm going to purge your life of all the mess first. Hey, in this day, in this time, you and I want to hear God, you want to hear direction for your life, you've got to deal with your sin first. You've got to get rid of the anxiety, the rejection, the worry, and all that mess that stands in the way. Let's see what happens next for Isaiah. One verse we're going to park in for the rest of our time together. It's verse 8. Here it is. Isaiah says, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Let's break this down here. There's some great truth here in just this one verse, just the first part of the verse. Isaiah says, also, I heard the voice of the Lord. He had heard angels talking up to this point. He had heard his own voice up to this point, but because he was laid out and undone, took responsibility for his sin, laid out before God, God purged him and cleansed him. Then, only then did it say, also I heard the voice of the Lord. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. Then I heard the one on the throne speak. He said something. This is where you hear from God when you get your sin purged from your life so many people walking around today and they want to have a view of god that that says he's mean he's cruel he's indifferent he's not really involved in my life his word really can't be trusted i'm not sure the bible is really all god's word and they've got all this stuff going on about who god is and they wonder how come i never hear god speak to me Because you have a very tiny view of God, that's why. And you won't hear from him if you got a small view of him. You can't walk around today snubbing him. You can't walk around today doing what you want, not what he wants. You can't walk around today twisting the truth and say, well, what I feel is true, even though that's what God says is true. You can't do all of that and say, God, speak to me. Would you please speak to me? I know I don't trust anything about you, and I know I don't trust your word, and you really your spirit, I'm not sure about that thing anyway, but would you please speak to me? Hey, you think that's going to happen? You're not going to hear when he speaks. That's why this verse comes in verse 8, not in verse 1. Isaiah got a, a vision shift, and he saw God for who he was, and he repented of his sin, And then, then he heard Jesus speak. Then he heard the Lord speak. But I love what happens next because he didn't just hear some words, but it says this is what he heard him say. He heard Jesus say something. He heard him specifically say, whom shall I send? Now, I don't want to go ahead to the next part of the verse, but I, You can look at the next part of the verse just right here. And you see it says, and who will go for us? You see, what's happening here is a conversation among the Trinity of God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit in heaven are having a conversation. And Isaiah, all of a sudden, is able to hear this conversation. He had never heard it before. He'd never seen this before. But when you get your sin purged and you get your, right, your life right with God, you'll hear some things from him you've never heard before. Amen? And that's what's happening here. And all of a sudden, Isaiah, because he's spiritually tuned in and he's dismissed all the other junk in his life, now all of a sudden he's hearing heaven. He's gotten dialed in. He's programmed into heaven, and there's a conversation going on. It's the greatest podcast ever. And he's listening, and there's three talking. And Jesus is initiating the conversation here. And he hears Jesus say, whom shall I send? Who will be the one that represents us? Who will be the one that is going to be filled with holy purpose? Who's going to be the one that we send? Who's going to be the one that Jesus says, I have a conversation with, and I give them a mission, and I give them a purpose, and I send them in it? Who's going to be the one that will speak on behalf of heaven? Who will be the chosen one? Who will be the one filled with passion? Who will be the one that's part of the strategic plan of God to speak to a nation under judgment? Who's going to be the one that gets sent? And Isaiah is shocked at this conversation he's hearing. Who will I send? He's hearing the very heart of Jesus, the very heart of heaven. Whom shall I send? And the next part, who will go for us? That's what it says in the next part of the verse. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, who will go for us? On behalf of us, who will go and speak to this people? Who will be the one to bear the message from the throne of God? Because this message wasn't going to be easy. This wasn't going to start out with, hey, Jesus loves you. Hey, it's all going to be okay. No, this was going to be, folks, there is a God in heaven. He is holy. You have defiled his temple. You have walked in disobedience, and there's judgment coming. And so Isaiah says, somebody is about to be given that assignment. Somebody is about to have to walk out of heaven with a message from heaven and take that message to the nations. This will be no easy thing, to take a message to a people under judgment. Now, Let's make a little application over in today before we go much further. Because I think we can all relate with the stuff that's going on Isaiah's day with our day. We can relate to the things that are happening. People rejecting God. People twisting truth. People walking in their own arrogance, in their own celebration and demanding acceptance of their sin. And our nation is reeling today. Here's the question that usually gets asked by Christians and sometimes by non-Christians. Is God going to judge America? Mm, There's a pregnant sentence for you. Is God going to judge America after all that's happened, after all that we've done with babies being aborted, immorality being celebrated, Injustice being the rule of the day, is God going to judge America? Let me give you the answer. Yes. Let me expand. He's not going to wait. He's doing it right now. We live in a land under judgment. We are experiencing that judgment today. If the nation doesn't repent as a whole, oh, there's coming another judgment. But we are under judgment right now. And you say, well, but we're Christians. We're the church. How can we be under judgment? I understand. You and I, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have had your sin removed from you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? But look at this. We live in a nation under judgment. How can we not expect to face some of the fall off of that judgment upon us? I'll illustrate it like this. If I'm driving in my car alone, I'm responsible. I'm going to attempt to follow the law, attempt to observe other drivers, and do the best I can to keep myself safe. If I am in another person's car, and let's say this person and some other people are driving, and they are driving recklessly, they're not paying attention to what's going on the road. In fact, they are even... Their senses are dulled. And they are being very reckless, not paying attention. And I'm in that car. If they have a wreck... Guess who has to pay the price for being in the car too? Not just them, but me. Because I was in that car. We are in the car of America. And America is suffering under judgment today. And the church is experiencing some of that at the same time. And just as God called Isaiah in his day with a voice to those in the car... He calls people today with a message to those who are in our nation. That's a question we have to wrestle with. It's an experience that we have to understand because our nation is currently under judgment. The scripture is clear throughout the Old Testament of what that judgment looked like. The New Testament reveals it as well. If you read in Romans chapter 1, it talks about those who rejected glorifying God, those who pushed the boundaries of the law to be able to do what they wanted in unrighteousness. They denied God as creator. They denied that God had been good to them. They were not thankful. And they began to have passions for everything else but him. And as a result, here's the judgment that it says in Romans chapter 1. It says, "...in that day that God gave them over." He let them go their way. This is how God brings judgment on a nation. He lets them have what they are pursuing. And so they get to experience the full throttle effect of that. For example, in Romans 1, they exchange the love of God for lust. When you do that, then you'll be a nation given over to all that comes with immorality. You'll begin to have breakdown of the marriage covenant. You'll begin to have an increase in sexual immorality, pornography, adultery. There'll be an increased demand in the country for people to have their sin celebrated. There'll be sexual distortions homosexuality, fluid genders, transgender, all those things, and there's conflict, there's disease, there's all kind of confusion, mental and emotional. All of that comes with it because when you stiff-arm God as a nation, he turns the nation over and says, if that's what you want, I'll give you over to that. And so you and I are living in a nation under that judgment today. We live in a nation today where... People have exchanged the worship of God as a creator for the created. In other words, people today are much more enamored with the environment than they are with God. People today are much more caught up in global warming than they are the increasing holiness of heaven. And as a result, we're experiencing all the calamity that comes with that. We're experiencing catastrophe, disease, because we've rejected the one who is the creator and celebrated what is created. Romans 1 spells all of that out. We've exchanged the worship of God today as a man, I mean, as the God of truth for the knowledge of man. We said, God, no, thank you. I mean, your stuff is, it's just so... Puritan like. It's just so old school. It just doesn't play well in the culture anymore. It just doesn't fit me anymore. So, God, I'm just going to set your stuff aside. I'll do what I want. I'll walk in my ways. I'll do what feels right. I'll do what makes me some more money. I'll do what's more comfortable. And when you do that, when you exchange truth for your lie, when you exchange truth for whatever's comfortable for you, You're going to reap all that comes with that. You're going to have all of the results that follow from that. You'll start having mental and emotional turmoil. There'll be argument and debate in the land. People will twist truth to justify their sin. The more you exchange the worship of God for the worship of yourself, there'll be more judgment. This ultimately falls out when a nation... Is taken over by another nation. That's the Old Testament pattern, it's the New Testament pattern. When a people choose to walk away from God, they end up getting caught in their sin, they end up paying the price for it, they end up being weakened as a nation, and ultimately they will end up taken captive as a whole nation. It happens that way individually. You give yourself over to sin, you'll find yourself a slave to sin. When a nation gives itself over to sin, it'll find itself a slave of another nation. Our nation was built on godly principles. Our nation was built on a foundation of faith and scripture. Men and women who sought to walk in God's ways, they were not perfect, but they sought to find a way to honor God in all things our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence bears all of that out. Even the separation of powers in which our government was established upon is based on a biblical principle. It's based on the idea that the human heart is sinful and no one can know its horror if left unchecked. So the Founding Fathers established a way of government where there'd be a a system of checks and balances so that no one person could rule all. And by having that system of checks and balances, they hoped to longer sustain a country that would be filled with faith and goodness. So our founding fathers protected this nation. In later generations, and the decades that followed, We as a nation tried to protect ourselves against threats from outside, from other countries who wanted to come in and take over, who wanted to come in and dominate, who wanted to control us, who wanted us to be their slaves, and we fought against it. We would go around the world to fight against it to stop its aggressive ways into our nation. And today we face the same threat however at this time it's not from another physical nation it's not from somewhere across the ocean it's from within our own people it's from with a group within our own people who call themselves americans who now want to do what we always fought against control the people dominate the people, and make us slaves. It's the same principle. This is the price for sin. This is the judgment upon a nation. And what's needed today is a group of people who will say, Lord, you are holy. You are seated on your throne above all. And I am undone. I am completely undone by your holiness. And I have walked in my own stubbornness and sin. And will allow him to touch us. To purge us. To cleanse us. And then hear the heart of heaven that says, Now. Now, to this nation that is caught up in its own sin, now to this nation that's under judgment, now to the people who refuse to acknowledge there is a God, who will go? Who will be the one to speak? Who will come out of their comfort? Who will walk away from their own pleasures and hear what heaven is saying? This is what happened to Isaiah, and look what happens next. Then Isaiah said, hear Am I, God, I hear you. God, I see what's going on in the land. God, I see what you've done for me. You are holy. You are righteous. You reign on a throne. You're the one who had a plan for our land. You're the one who directed our history. God, you're the one who had a purpose for our future. We've we've squandered that. We've walked in disobedience. Now, God, you need someone to go. I'll go. Isaiah didn't say, you know. I think I could spare a few minutes on the a few extra minutes on the weekend, God. I think I might could work this in, God. I think I've got, uh, you know, I've got some extra time, God. I got a little bit of talent, God. I got a little bit of money. No, Isaiah says, "Woe is me, I am undone." And God, you are going to use a man to work. Then here I am. I bring all of me, all of me. I'm here, God, nothing held back. I'm not holding back this part of my life. I'm not gonna hold back my emotions, my relationships, my family, my circumstances, my job, my preferences. I'm not gonna let any of that stand in the way. God, here I am, all of my life, all of me. Here am I. And he finishes with these words. Send me, send me, God. Fill me with the purpose. Fill me with direction. God, I'll go. I'll do what you want me to do. When Isaiah got a vision shift, he saw heaven instead of earth. He saw a king instead of an unseated throne on earth. He all of a sudden got a picture and he ended it by saying, God, I will go. I will be the one to do what you want to do. Send me, fill me, use me give me the words, give me the strength. I'll go, I'll go, send me. In our day today, I believe God's looking for people who will hear heaven and then choose to walk in complete obedience to him. This is the day, this is the time that it's going to take that kind of full faith surrender. If you want to see God work in your life, you want to get a 2020 purpose, then hear him calling you. Hear him calling you in your life where you are. And if you got stuff standing in the way today, if you got junk that needs to be dealt with, then that's what you do. You bring it to the throne and say, God, I'm undone. I can't do it. I've tried to do it. I'm as messed up as all that mess up out there. And God, I bring it to you and I lay myself out. Now, if you're calling someone to go, I'll go. take the message back into my marriage. I'll take it back into my family. I'll take it back to work. I'll take it into my community. I'll take it to my neighbor. I'll be the one God. That's what God's looking for today. Those who have that kind of full on surrender, nothing held back. Here am I, send me, I'll go. I won't have to be coerced, guilted, shamed, prodded, poked. I'll go. Would you bow your heads with me today? Father, I know in this day, as it was in Isaiah's day, the land suffering under judgment And in our day, like in Isaiah's day, you're looking for your people to respond, to stand up, to be the ones who will live full surrender, full obedience, willingness to say, Lord, send me. God, I pray that would be true for us as a church. And I pray that would be true for us individually up against a culture that is increasingly resistant and rebellious to you, may we be full of obedience to you. May we have hearts of full surrender, willing to do what you say, willing to give up what we must, willing to surrender at all costs so that you can be glorified and a nation can be saved. So Lord, we say to you, here we are. Send us. Fill us. Send us to do what you want. Send us to a nation in despair. Send us with a message of hope. Send us with a message of truth. We'll stand in it. We'll walk in it. And we'll hear your heart. Here we are, Lord. Send us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All right. We have been uh, blessed at Vertical for several or many weeks in seeing people baptized, coming to faith, or recommitting their lives and being baptized. So I want to introduce you to uh, a man who's going to be baptized today, Don Fluellen. Would you come on up and bring David, your son, with you? Yeah. If y'all might know, Don is uh, one of our usher team and his son as well, David. And so uh, we'll come up on stage. I want you to hear just a little bit of Don's story before we, uh, before we do this today. I'll let Don hold the mic. and Don, let's talk for just a moment here. Don, how long have you been here at Vertical? Uh,
1: about four to five years. Okay,
0: about four to five years. That's what I was thinking. So God's done a work in your life since you've been here. you yes. been through some things, and God has worked. What are just maybe just a few of the things that God has done in your life since being here, or what has it meant to you to be here at Vertical?
1: I, I loved my whole family, uh, being part of the church and, and I've definitely been more involved with this church than anyone in my entire life and, and look forward to it. So, yeah,
0: yeah. I love it here. So, uh, tell everybody where you work if you can, right? Yeah. Can <laughs> yeah. you? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> uh,
1: so I work for the government and, um, I've actually been kind of recruited for ever since I've been here, uh, to keep moving up and, um, I had made a commitment to my son, that I wouldn't move until he graduated and they pursued it continuously until I finally accepted. So, okay. And it's not so. just,
0: it's not just like Fort Worth or anything where you're going either, is it? It's, sir. Well, I'll be going to DC. All right. It's going yeah. to Washington, DC. Yes, sir. So we'll all know we've got a missionary there, right <laughs> there in the place. Yes, sir. All right. So, um, you come to this moment today knowing David's going to be here without you. And you go there knowing it's a new chapter in your life and what does baptism mean for you today making this decision
1: it's um it's just it's a do-over it's a start over this year's uh really been challenging for everyone that does know me here they know personally I've gone through a lot of things this year and um, recommitted myself to God and um, I definitely feel like I'm being called to go. Yeah. This is something that uh, I turned the job down in January and they held it until my son graduated and then reannounced it so I would put in and so um, it's definitely wasn't my, my first choice Yeah, but uh, I'm, I'm grateful yeah. to have the opportunity and I'm very sad to be leaving my son here um, yeah. but so proud of him. Um, the one thing I want to say is through all the challenges I have faced My son has always been so consistent in things that he's done and shown me that even when I've had hard times, um, just the little things, telling everyone every single day, have a blessed day. You know, everyone at the counters, everyone at a register, whatever, and and I've just admired him for how faithful he is. And uh, it's helped me to even grow more. So I wanted to be the, the father and the person leading you by example and bringing in the church and being involved, I think did that, but seeing him and how faithful he is to his friends and everyone he encounters, I think helps me even more. So yeah. that's why I wanted him here with me today.
0: Yeah. So Don and I've talked about this decision for a while. And uh, one of the things that we've just talked back and forth on is where's God's will in this, what is God's purpose in this? And so Don has been seeking the Lord And he believes this is what God has for him at this point. And so I admire him for that. Uh, Don has played a crucial role in a lot of things behind the scenes here. And we're grateful for you and what you have provided for us here at Vertical. We will miss you. But I'm excited on this day you're recommitting your life to him, to serve him, to be a witness for him in a place that needs some witness. We're grateful for that. So... um, Don has asked for something a little unique today. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to come back there with him. But David is actually going to be the one baptizing Don today. Son, baptizing his father. And, and Don told me this morning that this, is, this matter of faith is a family thing for him. So here's son. Here's Don. And what's on your feet? Uh, my father's boots. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. So we're grateful. Yeah, that's okay to clap for that. That's good <laughs> stuff. That's good stuff. <laughs> on in yeah boots and all awesome awesome yeah have a seat awesome good yeah all the way down yeah it is warm It is warm. good there you go well i want you to take a look at all these folks out here as they um they watch and participate because your your story is a story to them it's a testimony of god's goodness and faith and so i'm grateful for you i'm grateful for what he's done in your life here And I'm grateful that we all get to participate in this moment. So, way to go, David. This will be a moment you always remember. I pray it well. So, Don, by the power of Jesus Christ, you are buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen.